Welcome to the most overrated, underappreciated, most viewed on the view podcast of all time. Welcome to the Prince of Fresh Air. This is your host, the most charismatic man in entertainment. And we're back with a special guest, lovely woman doing her business. She's out here and making a name for herself. She is a licensed professional therapist, performer, podcast host of Sustaining Creativity Podcast, and a creativity cultivator. She holds a BFA in active from the University of Hartford's Hart School and the MA in somatic counseling, psychology, dance movement therapy from the Rupa University. She's she's busy. She's out here all over the world doing her thing. Let's introduce okay, Mari say- Reesberg. Perfect. Yes. Thank you so much for having me as a guest today on your podcast. Absolutely. How you been? How, how's how's life? How you liking this pandemic? Oh, you know, I'm making making it work for me. <laughs> if you will. <laughs> I you know, there's never a day off in the pandemic world. And so, you know, being safe, staying sane and making the most of it. I'm in Colorado, so we're a little more open than you all are in California right now. So we've got uh-huh. in, we have in inside dining at like 25% and, but that's really it. I mean, no theater, no music venues, everything's online still for that, but restaurants are open. Really? Um, yeah, mm-hmm. we, we're, it's a mess. It's been a mess for like the last seven months out here. It's, mm. it's ridiculous. Let's, well, I, I'm hoping probably towards the end of the year things pick up, but at this rate, and whatever, I, <laughs> I kind of tuned it out at this point. <laughs> yeah, keep living the life. Keep, keep got to keep moving forward, even though pandemic is still happening. Right, right. And on, on the heels of pandemic, let, let's turn it to you. Because uh, yeah. I wanted to have you on because we had a lovely discu- uh, discussion on your podcast, Sustaining mm-hmm. Creativity, which we will talk about in a second. Um, therapy is a very um, untouched subject. A lot of people don't talk about it. It's a very, I won't say taboo, but it's, it's not something a lot of people talk about. And especially in a pandemic. Yeah. Therapy is probably something that we all need. Um so before we get into that, how did you get into therapy and why did you get into therapy? Yeah. So even though you won't say it's a taboo subject, I will. <laughs> it absolutely, absolutely is. However, um, getting into it. So I was living in New York City after going to acting school and live in my early 20s life in New York meeting amazing people. I was singing with an Irish band. I was a nanny. I worked at a restaurant and I, wherever I went, people just started telling me their life stories. Like, even if I told them, I don't really want to hear it. They would still (laughs) tell me their life stories. I would be in a cab on a bus at a bar. Didn't matter. Getting my nails done. People would just launch into their life story or what was going on or how sad they were. And I thought, well, I, I'd like to get paid for listening to people's stories. (laughs) How can I turn this into something? You know, I, I believe that I am a helper in this world, in this life. I love to help people. I love to support people. I think, I think there are many of us who are called into the helping professions. And I think I'm one of those people. And so I started thinking about, okay, therapy, but talk like straight talk therapy just didn't feel like it really grabbed all of the things that really 
called me and moved me. And I've always been a dancer or mover. I did aerial dance. I was a trapeze artist from the time I was three until I was 20. And so movement has always been a part of my life. And I was introduced to the creative arts therapies, dance movement therapy, drama therapy, music therapy, art therapy, and dance movement therapy really spoke to me as the platform to engage therapeutically. Dance movement therapy is about the connection between our mind and our body. And many of us live most of our life from our shoulders up and don't pay a lot of attention to the, you know, 90% of the rest of this flesh and bones that's moving us around through the world. So I thought that dance movement therapy really held a lot of amazing tools to support people. And that's what really kind of sparked my curiosity around psychology and therapy. And so that's what my master's degree is in somatic body-based psychology, dance movement therapy. But, you know, we studied all the regular psychology components. I've got neuroscience. I can nerd out on neuroscience and, (laughs) you know, talk about psychology and therapy and, you know, unique to Naropa where I got my master's. It's a Buddhist inspired university. So I had meditation classes while there. And so lots of mindfulness and how important that is for our development, for our psyche, for our awareness, just understanding ourselves more completely. So that's how I got into psychology, therapy. And, you know, I've been in therapy most of my life because my family, it's very important to have like personal growth is a really important value in my family. And my dad's a therapist too. So (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so it's a family business kind of thing. Well, funny, he and I went to grad school at the same time. So he was going to grad school in his 60s. And I was going yeah. to grad school in my 20s. <laughs> it's yeah. never too late. You're never too exactly. old. You're never too young. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, th- I like these conversations because I'm learning a lot from you. And one of the things that, that piqued my interest when we was talking uh, was the fact that you do dance movement therapy. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, at least for me, and I'm probably speaking for majority of people, when we think about therapy, you see the movies and stuff, you know, the, the, the person's laying on the couch and the, the therapist is just sitting there scribbling things, right? Yeah. And I'm going to throw a little curveball at you, but I, I want to get your opinion on this. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest criticisms people mm-hmm. say about therapy is the fact that people are getting paid. Like you said, you want to be paid to, mm-hmm. and it's not wrong with that. I'm not saying you're, you're yeah. not doing a good job, but I know a lot of people feel like therapists are just there to collect the paycheck and they don't care about what you say. You know, they just getting paid for the hour and then, you know, you go do what you got to do. Do you feel like that's a harsh uh, unreality of therapy or is that just something that the media portrays as therapy and that's not the actual truth? What a great question. I think it's probably a little bit of both. You know, I'm sure there are therapists out there who are just there for the paycheck, like any job, you know, it's not, therapists aren't immune to wanting to get a paycheck. I think that's part of it, (laughs) you know, and I also think the media does portray therapy in this very narrow lens that it's very kind of Jungian psychology, dream analysis or Freudian. You're going to talk about all of your deepest, darkest secrets. And you might in therapy, but that's not 
the only thing therapy is. It's so much more than that. So I think the media portrays therapy in this very narrow lens. And then you have people who therapy, you know, there's wilderness therapy. So people are out hiking up mountains with a therapist working on their personal life and with in relationship. Um, there's equine facilitated psychotherapy where you're doing therapy with horses and, or, you know, there's therapy animals and dogs that do therapy too. And so I think there's the world of therapy is so much bigger than how it's presented in the media. And there are so many other ways to engage with therapy. I mean, we live in such this technology based world. You could have a tech therapy session with your therapist. You could do it on Zoom. You can do it in person. You can do it with animals. You can, you know, it's it's not limited to this narrow one version of it because humans, we're not, we're not all the same. There are different things that work for us. And for some people it you need lots of skills. And for other people, they just want to talk about their day. And someone else could show up and you know, what you're actually working on is like ending a relationship, endings in your life, transitions. And that's very different for everyone. There's no one way to be human and there's no one way to do therapy. Right. Absolutely. I, I, lo I love the breakdown that you did. I, I, it's one of those things where I, I never been to therapy. Right. And, but I know people uh, especially during the pandemic, I've had a lot of friends reach out to me who, who go on through a lot of things, you know, it, it, mm -hmm. and it's hard for them to talk about these things. And one of the first things we, I always mention is go to a therapist. Cause like, for me, I like talking to people, but <laughs> at the same time, I like my, my freedom. I like my, my free time. So, you know, yeah. one of my friends, he, he goes to a therapist and he says it's life-changing for him. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons why I was talking, I brought that up was I feel like therapy is undervalued. You know, a lot of jobs don't offer it, don't yeah. offer it, whether you're in Wall Street, the arts. Um, it's not something that people pay attention to. And I think especially during a pandemic where people cooped up in the house, some people are still working the nine to fives. It's, it's very stressful. Nothing is mm -hmm. open. You can't go to the beach to relax some more. You know, I'm pretty sure domestic violence is going through the roof. Um, yeah. In terms of therapy because you know you do dance and and uh movement therapy as well what are some some ways people can get creative if if not for, with therapy for another person uh, like a therapist some things they can do like at home to help yeah. them uh, achieve that mind-body connection absolutely i mean okay there's like lists and lists and lists of things that people can do but <laughs> the short list is get active whether it's exercising at home getting outside, going for a walk, you know, what is your active level that feels supportive and appropriate to your physical ability and do it. If it's putting on your favorite song and dancing for five minutes a day and that's it, awesome. You know, give yourself permission to daydream or if you get caught in an anxiety spiral or a depression spiral or a worry spiral, set a timer for 10 minutes and worry for 10 minutes. And when that timer goes off, go distract yourself and do something else. Watch a movie, make a meal, call a friend, draw, like get out of your head after you do that. But 
you know, you could also meditate or you could, I don't know, learn a new hobby. If there's a musical instrument you want to learn, try that, you know, things when we set little achievable goals and are able to accomplish them, that increases our resilience in our life, our ability to complete something. And during a pandemic, when we feel like I'm not doing anything, I can't do anything. It's, you know, really paying attention to the things we're already doing and having gratitude for, yes, I got out of bed, I got dressed, I brushed my teeth and I combed my hair or I got out of bed and I made breakfast. Like that is sometimes enough. So really giving yourself permission to value the things that you're already doing. And there's so many self-help books out there about so many things. If you wanted to, I don't know, learn anything, there's a book about it, or you could, there's a website about it or a class. And during the pandemic, there've been so many free courses available to people. Do some research. I know at a lot of major universities, they were offering free courses during the pandemic and thousands of people were signing up for them and learning a new skill, but also just doing something because they love to do it or were curious about it or interested. So I think even if it's not going to therapy and having that traditional other person, non-judgmental space to share your thoughts and work on your personal growth, there are ways you can do it on your own. And there might come a time where you get to a point where you do need an external trained professional to support you through things. And that there's nothing wrong with that either. I think that's just as valuable. Oh, absolutely. I, 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 fully um, agree with you. And I think the key thing that you said was movement. I think that's one of the most important things, especially for people who work nine to fives. Right now, a, a lot of people are just sitting at home on the couch eating Doritos, laying in bed all day. <laughs> that's one of the biggest driving forces. Psychology is very, it's a very important thing. And we're going to touch on that because, mm-hmm. you know, I was, although I did theater in, in, in college, I took a psychology class. I took a sociology mm-hmm. class and, and stuff like that. Getting to understand human behavior and yeah. stuff like that. And one of the biggest things is the people who aren't as active, the people who who are sedentary and don't leave a, a, a active lifestyle are more prone to depression, are mm-hmm. more, to, uh, more prone to health conditions, more prone to a lot of mental stress because you're not moving. You're not getting your body stimulated, not moving um, mm-hmm. can you touch on, cause I, I'm not too familiar with psychology and therapy, you know, I'm not, I'm yeah. not an expert in that field. So what are some things that, you know, people should know about it or some misconceptions about psychology and therapy? Misconceptions. Well, um, let's see. I think something that would be really important for people to know if you've never been to therapy, I think there's a misconception that the therapist is the expert. And it's actually the reverse. The client is the expert on their life. It's their life. It's your life. It's not my life as a therapist. I have my own life and I'm the expert in that. So to go to someone and assume that they will fix all your problems isn't exactly going to happen. So as a client, you're going to have to do some work. It's not up to the therapist to fix your life for you. 
they have skills and tools that they can teach you, but you're actually going to have to take some action. Right. So I think that's something that a lot of times we get caught up in. Oh, the expert, the guru, you're going to make everything better and fix it. That doesn't happen. <laughs> it's on you. Right. And, and you have someone who's in an, you know, that non-judgmental, compassionate, caring witness space to show up for you and support you going through whatever it is you're going through, but you're still going to have to go through it. Right. Right. And, and you know, it, it's one of those things. I ask you that because especially on YouTube, there's a lot of therapists, dating therapists, uh, mental health therapists, mm -hmm. and a lot of them, and you see this especially in almost every field, but especially in the fitness field too, where everybody's an expert. They have the cure. They understand what you're going through. They know how to fix you. And I think you're taking away the fact that people actually have to put in the work as well. You have to kind of meet. And I think what's happening is when people get used to seeing these life coaches on, on YouTube, they get an expectation about therapists. You know, when they come to your office, they be like, all right, I'm going to leave out here happy, smiling, feel like I'll win the lottery tomorrow. And the chances of that happening is, I mean, it's not, it's like a, it's like a, a workout plan or a diet. It takes time. And I think when it gets oversaturated with people who's trying to make a quick buck, who only cares about mm -hmm. filling up their client list, it puts a negative, um, a, a negative stigma towards therapy and it, it turns people away because they see these people who are plastered on Instagram, YouTube, on the news. And these are experts. And when it comes down to it, they're not get, they're not fulfilled. And so mm -hmm. the last person they want to see is a therapist. Um, but I like your approach. It's not the standard you sit down and you just talk and blabble and, you know, people pretend to care. It, you, you actually get people involved. And I think that's what's important. So, you know, not spoilers, because I know you don't want to give away too much of your secrets. <laughs> but what are some ways you, you get creative with your clients, you know, especially yeah. with the dance movement therapy and stuff like that? How do you kind of get them engaged? Yeah. So, you know, I think a little misconception when it says dance movement therapy, we think we're dancing and moving all over the place in a therapy Zumba. session. <laughs> <laughs> we're not. You know, if you think about it, breathing is moving and breathing is such a powerful tool it can regulate our nervous system incredibly quickly it can activate our nervous system incredibly quickly as well if you've ever had a panic attack you know that um so you know just to think that breathing is movement in your body um a lot of times we have what in the dance movement therapy world, we call kind of movement tags. We unconscious movements that we do, you know, hair twirling, lip biting, um, it, things that we just do unconsciously and they happen all the time. And so as a dance movement therapist, we might highlight that or bring some attention to it. You know, every time we talk about this subject, you start twirling your hair what's going, let's check in what's going on with that. Um, so we, we kind of, we can exaggerate a movement or make it really small or put a movement that's happening in your shoulders into your hand and, and see what comes up images, words, the themes, memories that happen when you do that 
to bring more focus to the body space that has so much information and so much wisdom that we typically don't pay a lot of attention to. So we're really focused on what's happening in your body. I ask a lot of clients, tell me about your internal landscape. Like, what do you see? What do you feel? Colors, sensations, emotions, what's going on? Paint me the picture of it. And then we can kind of tease things apart or explore things. Or when a big topic comes up, I might check in with someone and say, you know, it sounds like maybe words aren't what we need right now. Let's, let's move our body however it wants to move based on this topic that we're talking about. So that's how movement kind of incorporates into a therapeutic session, but with every client, it's different. And it, and then when you add trauma into it, that's a whole different set of movement experiences because our body holds, holds way more information than we're cognizant of. And a lot of trauma is held in our body and in our, our nervous system. And yes. so when, for a lot of people, when they start to move, they can have big releases of emotion because it's been held so tightly in their bodies. And all of a sudden that has been cracked open and it has no place to go because you're moving your system and you're moving your body. And so it comes out in many times comes out in tears and emotion. And so you find that a lot in performers or, you know, in acting school in movement class. Yes. You start oh, to yeah. move and <laughs> you got all your shit comes up. Um, yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. It's therapy is a, is not as taboo, especially in a lot of communities. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the male community, the black yeah. community, it's, it's, it's looked down upon, you know, they tell you, oh, keep your head up high. You a man, you know, you don't need therapy. You should be out there doing what you got to do. Cause you're a man. And I think, um, I'm not one of these people trying to break down the, the male patriarchy and, and stuff like that, but I think it, it is important for men um, to seek help because sometimes you do need somebody to talk to. You need somebody to, to listen to you, to vent to, because a lot of people, some of your friends listen and it goes out the other air because they probably right. think about that party they're going to next week. So sometimes I think it's very important. To, to seek out therapy. And the reason why I ask you about how people can get creative on their own is, mm -hmm. you know, for me, when I'm, when I'm stressed out, when I have a lot of things on my plate, I get audition here. I got, I got to do something tomorrow. I got a grocery shop. The next, I, when I have a lot of things going on, one of the simple things I do is either work out or just go for a walk, you know, mm -hmm. throw some music on, just go to the park, sit up yeah. somewhere, sit up high, just listen to the city, look at the sky, uh, the skyline and, and just, you know, take a moment, you know, five, mm -hmm. 10, 30 minutes, however long I need to, to really just get back in the game. And yeah. I, I wish more people would take that initiative, but again, it, it's not talked about enough. A lot of people just tell you, you know, just the real world man up or go home. Right. Um, right. what are some ways you get creative in your own time to, to kind of get you, you know, focused? Cause you got a lot of things on your plate. Yeah, I to listen do. to those stories uh, can get a little, you know, a little brutal sometimes. So absolutely. Well, before I go into that, I just want to say a hundred percent agree that men really struggle seeking therapy and it's so important. And I think we're in a bit of a new wave for men in this, in our society and our culture, 
that it's becoming more okay to have emotions, to talk to someone about emotions, to learn skills and tools, to be more effective in their life, in their relationships. And so I just want to like props, air high five to you for <laughs> saying that. And I think you're right when it comes to communities too. Therapy is viewed differently through cultural lenses as well. Right. So and, I think that's a reality. And just to touch on it before I let you continue. Yeah. Um, it, it's one of those things that I mentioned about community because mm-hmm. it's, a, it, it's a stigma where they tell you, you know, therapy is a crock. You know, they just want your money. Don't waste your time. You know, just go, just go for a walk. And I think, you know, for me, I have anger issues, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of runs in my family. But I've never one of the things that I learned is that my mental health is way more important when you bottle mm-hmm. up all that emotion and mm-hmm. you just let it out on the wrong person. I mean, bad things happen. So I think it's, yeah. it's time for, for men to, to realize that it's okay to talk to somebody, you know, yeah. whether it's a man, woman, don't matter. I think sometimes you just have to have that one-on-one. You don't have to put on YouTube anything, but mm-hmm. sometimes just talk to somebody. And I think uh, uh, that's, very important. Mental health is the key thing to a successful life, but I'm going to let you continue. Yeah. And just to piggyback off of that, there are some amazing black therapists doing some amazing work right now for the black community, which is super important. So I think, you know, representation is huge and therapy therapists aren't depicted as other than white much of the time. So having representation, if you want, if you are not a white person and you want to go to therapy, there are now specific therapists that you can go see that look like you, who have experiences like you. You're not just siloed into, oh, I have to go talk to a white therapist who knows nothing about racial trauma that I may have experienced in my life. So right, just to say that they're amazing humans. They're out there follow them on Instagram. They're awesome. Um, (laughs) Absolutely. But for my own navigating my own mental health and wellness, first of all, the thing that I really do my best, I don't always succeed, but is gratitude, making sure that even if I don't write it down, I'm doing a gratitude list in my head. What am I grateful for today before I go to bed? Or what am I grateful for when I get really frustrated at work because someone else hasn't done their job and I'm waiting on them to do their job so I can do my job. (laughs) We all know that feeling. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So what am I grateful for? Making a gratitude list. I mean, dance is top of my list. I will put on, I have hundreds of records. And so I will put a record on and dance around my living room. Um, My favorite right now is Jump by the Pointer Sisters. It just gets it helps me shake off whatever crap I'm dealing with and gives me, you know, three and a half minutes of pure joy to listen and move my body to it. Um, I love cooking and I love learning new things. So I'm always like looking up new meals on Pinterest and trying new things. And I made cinnamon rolls the other night and haven't made them in a really long time. And that was really good. Um, yeah, I got a pasta maker for Christmas and haven't used it yet, but it's on my list. Like, I want to <laughs> learn how to make pasta. Um, got to get the, an air fryer. 
Oh God, I keep seeing recipes for that. And literally I'm like, I apparently need an air fryer now as well. Um, (laughs) So, but learning new things, you know, during the pandemic, I started learning French on Duolingo and that was great. It keeps me, it keeps that part of my brain active, but I, I'm like a forever learner. I love learning. I love talking to people and learning new things and reading books. I love reading. I think, you know, mindless reading and mindful reading, you know, things about <laughs> my, my, you know, the topics of interest that I have. And then also just pure fluff that I can, I don't have to really pay attention to, but those are the things that I, those are the things that I do and get outside as much as possible and exercise and watch good tv I don't know. oh yeah the simple things it, it's all about being simple i think uh, yeah uh you know it's it, it's one of those things like we was talking that, about this before mm-hmm. where being creative is something you don't think about right a lot of people don't right. think about even as someone who's an actor and you being an actress as well and a dancer you mm-hmm. don't really think about it too much you kind of just you know go about your day and don't even think about it and then i realized I can't get creative. And during a pandemic, I think one of the biggest issues people are running into is that they, they don't have that creative outlet that they used to. You know, for me, it was going to the gym and trying to do workouts. Yeah. I don't know if a lot of people, it's the same thing or going to the, the bar and trying new drinks or going to the beach and, you know, doing something new. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people are cooped up at home and have no outlet to to be creative, to, you know, to find something new. And I think that's what's important. I think this is what, what's getting a lot of people throwing, uh, through the pandemic mm-hmm. is finding a new skill, like editing, cooking, dancing, learning a new language, painting, doing something, get your mind flowing. I think when you stand still, like you said, movement is key. It, when we think about movement, we think about physical, but sometimes movement is just mental as well. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the times when we when we're going through a lot of things, it's mental. And mental can get you through a workout if you have the mental capacity. Mental can get you through a, a, a walk if, if you put your mind to it. And I think uh, if we work on that mental health, that would be a key change to how we perceive therapy. Because a lot yeah. of people don't think about their mental health. They think about the beach body. You know, how they think about how to get the washboard abs, <laughs> the, you know, the bulging Arnold Schwarzenegger biceps. Mm-hmm. but they don't think about how strong their mental capacity is. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's something I'm passionate about because I realize how important it is to society. But I think it's yeah. one of those things we won't have that conversation until, you know, I started, me and you started, you know? Exactly. <laughs> you know, until we make it a priority. And that's the thing, you know, when something's a priority or it's important or it means something to you or it impacts you in a a way that is life altering right. that's when that's when more people buy into it or think of it as something that's important and valuable and i mean i can sit here all day and tell you how valuable therapy is because <laughs> you know like i am a therapist i go to therapy you know i think that's really important too i know what it is to be a client i'm not just a therapist that's the that's the whole point you gotta 
be on that other side. And, and sometimes it, you're not the right therapist for someone. And that's really important to be able to recognize too, and to make that referral to someone who can better serve and be more effective for a client. It's not just about the paycheck. It's about really getting your clients the support that they deserve and they need. And sometimes that's not you. And it's a humbling experience to navigate and can be really difficult as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that beautifully said. I don't even gotta, I don't gotta follow up on that. I'm I'm gonna leave that perfect, picture perfect. Um, We're gonna jump around. We're gonna do an Austin 316. Um, Oh, okay. Something we we talked about off camera. Mm -hmm. Like I said, sometimes I like to get into the controversial things. So yeah, bring it. One of the things we was talking about Mm -hmm. is, especially in 2020, a lot of racial uh, tension. Um, yeah. a lot of racial issues and you was talking about white privilege and mm-hmm. it's one of those conversations that we're still having to this day is white privilege real and how do you feel about that do you think it's real do you think it's just a made-up conspiracy theory how do you feel about it it's a hundred percent real white privilege i mean when you look at the history of our country and segregation and Jim Crow laws. Like you can't say that people who had white skin didn't have more privilege than people who didn't have white skin. Like the reality is there was color lines and divide and privileges came for people who were white and were taken away from people who weren't white in our country. And, and so to, to say that it isn't real or doesn't exist, um, I think is wrong. Right. Yeah. It's Stephen Crowder. Uh, I don't know if you know him, but he's a very outspoken person. And one of the things he, he does like this change my mind series and he did one, he was like, white privilege isn't real. And mm-hmm. it, it's one of those things where I'm not going to say is not real, but I think Sometimes we just, we get so caught up in a racial debate about, oh, uh, you know, we need this just like they need this. And we forget the things that we do have. Um, I'm not saying it's not real. I think it is real. I think systemically there is an issue. You're seeing it in almost every field, whether it's uh, acting, entertainment business, Hollywood, medical. Uh, yeah. You see it. I mean, it's prevalent. And do you think that we will get to a point where that's no longer an issue, racial tension, um, because I, I don't have hope. I, I think it's always <laughs> going to be that 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 divide because we, yeah. we will never move on from the past. I mean, I would love to say, yes, we will get there. And there is so much work. And, and I, when I say work, there is so much white people work <laughs> is what I mean. Like the white people my my white people have we have to do the work and if we're not willing to do the work it's going to take even longer to shift and change um you know what i'm what comes up for me is that you know when white people lose some of the you might call it a privilege or you might just something that they're used to having they then feel oppressed but that's actually not oppression. That's right. literally s- 
sharing, that's equity. You know, your <laughs> equality is happening. <laughs> um, but because for so many hundreds of years, white people have held on so desperately to the privileges that we have had because it's we can oppress non-white people, people of color, that when we lose those privileges or the idea of losing a privilege happens, we don't, we, we, I say we, white people start to kind of cry out and say, well, now I'm, I'm the one being oppressed because I don't have all the, the rights that I used to. And what's up with that? And so until white people, until I, as a white person can start to examine that what that is really about. I don't know that things are going to change that quickly. Not, and that doesn't, that it doesn't even touch the like systemic systems that are in place in education and police and medical, like it doesn't even touch on that, but that's the personal, I, you know, the work that I do as a white person is important to me to dismantle the systemic pieces that I, I can impact, that I can use my voice to touch on. Right. It, it's funny. I was talking to uh, a buddy and he made this joke. He was like, thank God for COVID because it's wiping out all the old people and he was like sorry grandma but you gotta go and i'm just sitting there i'm i'm laughing but i'm, I'm like yo why are you wishing enough for your grandmother and he said well it's not that i want to but it's time for the older people to to get out of here because you're you're seeing mm. when it comes to systemic racism right the, the reason why i continue on is because of generations of this 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 racial uh tension you know, people who grew up in the forties and fifties and sixties, I know older people who aren't like that. They, I mean, they're yeah. so welcome. It's, it's crazy, but a lot of them are still that still hold those principles. They went to segregated schools, you know, mm -hmm. they didn't hang out with black kids and vice versa, black kids, they hang on white kids. So there's still a lot of, of that floating around. And I think we, you know, as our generation uh, continues to uplift because we're a part of the younger generation, I think we will finally find some way to bridge the gap but i think when you look at people who live in like the middle of nowhere in like wisconsin or the middle of nowhere in texas that that's that's going to be the issue is that these these places aren't diverse you know you still have mm -hmm. it's a white culture and the only thing they see is you know black people on movies and the news you know they was portraying them as thugs and criminals gangbangers right. mexicans as drug cartel members always slinging mm -hmm. dope Muslims as terrorists. I think we as people, as we start, um, as new generations start coming up, the better chances we have. But I think we have to work together. Yeah. Because you said white people need to work together. And I, I, I agree with that. But I also think, too, we will never get anywhere if, let's say you change your mind, right? I'm not saying you have any racial thoughts, but let's say you change your mind and I tell you, well, I'm not going to talk to you because you're white and you can't do nothing for me. Mm -hmm. I think that does nothing. It achieves nothing. So I think right. as people, we have to work together. Absolutely. I agree. I mean, we have to have conversations. We have to listen. 
we have to have effective conversations, effective communication. But I, I also think, you know, talking about the all white community in Texas can't, you know, there's opportunities to get creative. Like if you want to diversify your community, what are some ways that you get to go about doing that to welcome in diversity right. into your community? Or if it's, you have an all black community, I mean, and you want to experience diversity in a, a different way, how do we get to use creativity to support that change and that shift and, and make it fun and educational? I think we fear the unknown. We get, get really afraid of things that we don't understand, we don't know, have never experienced. And, you know, finding ways to have common humanity finding ways to have compassion, gratitude can really help the, I'm, this might sound trivial, but it's deeper than that, right. but it's, it's a place to start, you know, it's, you got to start somewhere. And I think being able to, you know, get creative with some of the divisiveness that we're having in communication and education is really important. Oh yeah. It's, is it being creative is definitely one of the key things. And this is why I say diversity training needs to do better because diversity training shouldn't just be throwing four different backgrounds into a group and then saying, all right, that's diverse. That, I mean, that does nothing. You have to do some team building, some, you have to let those people, you know, show their culture. You know, one of my best friends, Don, his family are German and Italian, right? I'm, I'm black and Cuban. So we we've grown to the point where they understand where I come from. I understand where they come from. And we did, I mean, we like family, you know, I've, mm -hmm. I've gotten tried Italian food and German food. I've been able to, to cook Cuban food for them. Mm. And that's how we do it, you know? And I think, but I think it's also because we, we all had a mutual respect of let's get to know each other. I think yeah. that is what's important, but right now you're seeing this, uh, this, we're in a time now where those conversations just don't even happen. The, the first thing that happens is, oh, well, you're a racist. Get out of my face. We're not talking to you. Get out of here. You know, Twitter's blocking accounts. Facebook is deactivating accounts. It, it's a hot mess, right? Um, but on the heels of that, let me ask you, um, mm -hmm. hate speech is a, is a much talked about issue. Yeah. Do you think it is a real thing? Yeah. Hate speech? I mean, when you say hate speech, it's like using language with the intention to cause harm right. or to negatively impact someone, or, you know, it could be called oppressive language, which you and I have talked about. And you really, when you think about oppressive language, you know, language that has been designed to keep someone else oppressed exists like that is real <laughs> it's, right. it's documented it's history um so i think to say that oh hate speech doesn't exist or people use language without knowing the origins of it yes that happens all the time and and so some education is what needs to happen for, for individuals when we're using language that is offensive 
and oppressive. And the history of the words we use matter. Um, I'm reading this great book by Ijeoma Olu um, called So You Want to Talk About Race. I would highly recommend it. <laughs> little plug right there. It's a little plug. It's not for me. I don't get anything from this. Um, well, I but, do. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she says the history of a word matters as long as the effect of the history is felt. Right. So if we're still feeling the, if, if someone is still feeling the effects of the history of that word, it is oppressive. And so when we can, you know, understand where words come from and how they were used historically, and how we still use them today, how can we start making different choices? How can we have language that's more inclusive? How can it not be like, oh, I didn't know that that was oppressive or that was discriminatory language. We, in today's day and age, you have a computer in your pocket. Yes. Look it up, <laughs> you know, educate yourself. But I think in addition to that is people have to want to educate themselves, want to do better, want to make changes. And that's not everyone's reality. Not everyone wants to. And that is something we have to kind of accept that not everyone's going to be willing to change or agree that oppressive language using certain words today continues to perpetuate the same oppression that it did hundreds of years ago. Right. Okay. So <laughs> I, I, I loved your definition of it, right? Um, oppressive language, you know, using the words in a, of intent to hurt somebody, to put somebody down, to make somebody feel offended, right? Mm -hmm. But the problem I'm running into with hate speech is the fact that there is no clear definition of what it is. So mm -hmm. if I say something about the LGBT community, right? And it's not it's not meant to to be offensive. I'm just speaking. Oh, it's hate speech and he should be in trouble. And you're seeing this now, especially with comedians who, who are getting in trouble for making jokes. And I mean, these jokes has been happening for, I mean, since the beginning of civilization but now even co comedians can't even do a set without you know someone pulling the plug on their show or you know they're getting dropped from agencies because their their material is too offensive and as a minority i can say it because i'm someone who a lot of people might say oh are you do you feel oppressed i don't i think if someone wants to say something hurtful okay well if you get punched in the face you know that that's on you right but i think where, where do we draw on the line at hate speech? Because if if that's a thing, one of the things people are pushing for is more legislative to protect, uh, to mm -hmm. to enforce hate speech as a, a thing. But where does that end? Are we going to restrict every right that we have now because it can be offensive to somebody? I think people should be free to say whatever they want. You know, if the Ku Klux Klan want to hate black people, Go ahead. As long as you're not killing somebody, I'm not saying it's right for them to say that, but I mean, it is their right to say that. And if someone wants to punch them, kick them or whatever, I mean, by all means, I'm, I'm not here advocating nothing. But I think hate speech is different than oppressive language. Calling someone like uh, mm -hmm. Noah Cyrus called Candace Owens a nappy-headed hoe. 
Okay, mm-hmm. uh, you, you should have known that he's going to get backlash for that. But comedian saying a joke on stage shouldn't be persecuted in, in, in public just because of a joke, you know? And that's all I want is what is hate speech and what are we going to do about it? Because if we put legislation on that, that's more government and people already hate more government. So, I mean, where do we draw the line, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think those are good questions and having a definition of hate speech. I think there's probably several out there of that, maybe not one agreed upon definition, but I think it's valid to ask, you know, when it comes to entertainment, what what's allowed, what isn't, you know, we do have freedom of speech in this country. And at the same time, if it's negatively impacting large groups of people, is that still entertainment? Right, right. Valid question. I, I don't have the answer at all to it. Right. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think we like to legislate things in this country. We like to have our rules so everyone knows the rules to follow. And, and I think that, you know, for some things there's value in that and not in others. I, you know, when, when it comes to entertainment and comedians specifically, I think my experience has been, you know, the, the language that comedians use has always pushed the edge, no matter what time we're in and how they've used it. And not everyone gets in trouble and some people do. Right. So I don't know. I don't know what the, if there is one right answer to that in terms of hate speech or oppressive language or how some comedians can get away with it and others can't. I don't know. I think sometimes it comes with intention in the intention behind something. Um, And it's really easy to kind of explain away like, oh, I'm just being funny or I didn't mean it. I'm not being serious. I'm just saying this. And yet, I don't know, off stage, would you say it to someone? Right, right. Yeah. I mean, it's, I I say it's a a slippery slope because I I love offensive comedy. I'm an offensive (laughs) person, Not, not in the sense that I like to, to go out and just make people feel you know hated, you know. But mm-hmm. I like I like racial jokes. I, I'm, a, I'm a black guy. I, I don't mind people making black jokes, right? And yeah. you know, Dave Chappelle is a prime example of someone who pushes the boundaries every time he does a special, mm-hmm. right? And you know, people always say, you know, the news will say, oh, Dave Chappelle is promoting hate speech, right? But half of the people, I, I wouldn't even say half, 75% of the people love his comedy. Gay mm-hmm. people love his comedy. Yeah, there's some that absolutely despise it. But are we going to now cancel Dave Chappelle and pull all his shows because a select mm-hmm. group of people hate it? I think we're, we're if we limit free speech, then it's not free speech anymore, you mm-hmm. know. And I think that is the issue. I'm feeling like we're going to run into mm-hmm. is yeah, should people say the N word? No, but if someone says it, it's like if a white person was rapping to a song on TikTok and he said the N-word because they was rapping to the song. I mean, should they lose work and get banned for life? Because no, I 
I think we have to find a common ground. And I think we, as people, I think every solution we have to therapy, racial tension mm-hmm. is if we talk to each other, but we don't, you know, everybody's separated. Yeah. Everybody's a Republican, a Democrat. Someone is right and left. Someone is black and white. It's, it's so many labels in this world. And I think until we start, just stop realizing these labels are doing more harm than good. Mm. We would do better, but you know, yeah. Unless we sit down and talk, we're going to just be running around screaming all day, you know. And I think that yeah. is the biggest issue. Absolutely. I also think, you know, I, I think to get people to sit down and have a conversation, you, they have to let go of their fear of being wrong or their need to be right because we're going to make mistakes. You're, I'm not going to get everything right. I'm going to mess up. And can I tolerate messing up? And can I tolerate someone else telling me I'm messing up? Right. And that's what you get to take to therapy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Full circle get creative. there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> get creative. You know, this, uh, this is a YouTube channel. Um, I'm going to keep it short, but this is a YouTube channel called Uncomfort- Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. Yes. I'm sure you watch it. Amazing. I love it. Creative way of him talking about subjects, where, mm-hmm. whether it's families or, uh, you know, just a mom and dad or just don't matter how many people or how little of a guest, no matter what background, he'll bring anybody on and they, they have fun and they talk about these hard hitting questions. But that is the, the key reason why he is successful is because some people are willing to uh, be they're They're willing to admit that they're wrong. You know? Yeah. I, I remember this one guy, he felt bad because he always felt a prejudice I want to say prejudice, but he always felt a way about black people, right? Mm-hmm. And then as he started having kids and, and meeting black people, he he felt bad. He was like, you know what? They're not as what they seem as in movies. You know, these are they're intelligent just like me. They have jobs, they work. And I remember talking about that and I felt bad for him because I know people were gonna go in the comments and, and slander the man. But mm-hmm. this is somebody who realized his wrongs and was making progress to it. And I think we as people need to start letting people grow. You know, this cancel culture thing where you you get in trouble for something you said seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Is it wrong that you said it? Yeah, but I'm not the same person I was at 15. I'm 25 now. I've I've learned a lot. So I think we have yeah. to allow people to grow and, and come together and have those conversations and be wrong. I don't mind being wrong. I, I mm-hmm. love it. I love being proved wrong. So... <laughs> You know, but I think as people, especially right now, we're conditioned to if I'm not right, that I'm not having this conversation. Mm-hmm. And we we can all serve this by doing what? Going to therapy. That's Going right. to therapy. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think the other piece that people don't like being vulnerable. And this is a you're being called to be vulnerable when you have these conversations. They are right. uncomfortable. You will be uncomfortable. Can you tolerate being uncomfortable? Right. I, I, I think it's uncomfortable, but it's also ego. Uh, ego. Mm, yeah. A lot of like people see me as like this superficial type of guy, right? I got the hair, the sunglasses, tattoos. I, I look like a supermodel. I mean, I'm not bragging here, but you know, it is what it is, right? But for me, I, I. Life is too short. 
right? I don't mm. mind talking to anybody. I don't mind being wrong because why? At the end of the day, it doesn't matter how you had the conversation. It's what you learn from the conversation. Yeah. And a lot of people don't want to go into a conversation and learn anything. They want to prove their point and get out of there. And I right. think as people, we have to do better than that. I, mm. Just because I'm I'm a I'm a minority, don't mean I have to feel oppressed. I I, I don't feel oppressed. I, I'm successful in my own right. I'm doing my own thing. I'm still young. I got a lot of more years to go, but I don't run around talking about slavery that happened 50 years ago. And I don't look at another. I don't look at a 22 year old and say, "Oh, you know, your people are racist." I, I think that does nothing. That don't solve anything. And I think. People need to realize a conversation is a conversation, whether it's with your parents, your, your, your brother, your, your best friend, your cousin, just have those conversations. Be be open to it. If you don't learn anything, go to the next one. But if you learn something, share with other people. This is what this podcast yeah. is all about, you know? Um, but in terms of talking about this, because like you said, we talked about this off camera. Mm -hmm. I know you say you talk about this with other, you know, I, I always feel weird saying it, but you know, white folk. Other white people. White people. Yes, yeah. yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I get uncomfortable saying it, but um, I, is there a way when you have these conversations, you, you guys get creative with it, you know, to, to make it light and not make it too, oh, I got to go out and do something to, you know, you know. Yeah. I mean, I like, I like to think of what are the small ways, the things I can do today, not the big changes in the world, but like, what can I do in my own community, in my own life around racism or around these challenging conversations? Um, I think that's the key thing. What are the things I can do today? You know, I don't have children, but I live in a community that has schools. So maybe I can look and see what's the diversity in the high school in my neighborhood. And are there, you know, police officers in the high school still or, okay. And as a community member, do I have a voice, even though I don't have kids, you know, right? what are the, the small things that I can do in my own community? But, you know, I'm in a book club. That's a bunch of white ladies and we're reading the book about racism and we're talking about it and it's sparking conversations in our own families and in our own lives that we wouldn't have otherwise. And, you know, to have a conversation about when was the first, how old were you when you had a teacher who was a person of color and to have some people say, I was 50 and other people say, Oh, I was eight. Like that's a big, that's a big difference yes. to go through your whole life and not have to only have white teachers in school or, you know, classes that you take. And so I think it's starting those conversations in communities that hadn't been having those conversations because I think a lot of white people think, oh, it, that it doesn't have to do with me. I'm not racist. I'm not this. I'm not that. I don't, I'm, I love black people. Or I love people of color, you know, that those sentiments that white people spout, I think are, <laughs> you know, are finally being, they're being asked to say like, hold, hold up here. You're, you're saying this, but 
it actually, you are impacted. This does, this is your issue. And now they're, we, I am saying, yeah, it is my issue. And what do I, how am I showing up in it? And yeah, it's a privilege to turn off the news and to not, and to live in a white body and say, okay, I don't have to deal with this right now. I can tune it out, turn it off. And not everyone has that privilege. Right. Oh, beautifully said. I think uh, what you said was perfect. And I commend you and those uh, group of, of women of talking about that because I know with the whole George Floyd thing, Breonna Taylor, it was a big thing. And yeah. I think as people, we should look, I'm not saying there was any positives from what happened, but the positives that come from it, there's more conversations. Mm -hmm. Hollywood is having more uh, conversations about diversity. Yeah. You know, let, let's get rid of the, the, the token black guy who's the gangbanger on the, on the sidewalk. Let, let's stop always making the white Who dies in scene three. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Put more women into roles. And I think diversity isn't just a race issue. It's a, it's a gender issue, yeah. uh, you know, stuff like that. I think we're having those conversations and I think it's important. But I think as long as we continue having these conversations, because one of my fears is, and you've seen it already, something big happens, right? People start those conversations. You know, it looks good for the camera. You know, people go on YouTube and they put the put these conversations up. And then five months later, you know, not, they're not talking about it no more. It kind of just right. is over. I, I hope, I'm not saying this is happening now, but I, I hope a year from now, we see some progress, right? Because it's not, I'm not expecting every cast of director to put black people in all the movies, you know, Captain America or, you know, all these jobs to start, you know, mm -hmm. doing diversity training right off the bat. I think it takes time. And I think hopefully a year from now, these conversations do some good for people. You know, people start realizing, I don't care if you're white, black, you know, Mexican, uh, it doesn't matter. Everybody can learn from this. Yeah. That, don't wait, don't let it hit too close to home for you to start speaking out. You know, let's have these conversations now. Right. You know, you don't want to wait until, you know, your grandmother or your brother or your sister goes through something tragic to have these conversations. Let's, let's do it now. Let's mm -hmm. just come down, talk. Whether you we agree, agree, uh, agree or disagree, it's yeah. all good. But let's just have this conversation now. And this is what I, I, I try to aim to do with everybody. It's just, let's just put the, the differences aside. Let's have a conversation. And if you want to slap me upside the head, you know, let's do that. <laughs> Verbally, because we're not touching. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, my, my, my bodyguard is going to be watching. So oh, okay. Right. <laughs> Good. But I think you're right. Yeah. Having the conversations and not letting the conversations die or die off and continuing to talk about it and continuing to make changes. And I think we can have the conversations, but we also need to take some action. Because right having conversations only gets us so far and it's taking action from the conversation. So when we learn something, how are we putting that into play? How are we acting on what we learn? You know, talking about conversations, let's talk about your podcast, you know, something that you, you've been, you know, sharing with, uh, with people around the world, college universities on, on streaming platforms. Mm -hmm. um, how did you get into sustaining creativity what made you come up with that and uh, how has that journey been for you yeah man this takes me I got to go back to go come forward so in college I went to acting school and then I went 
to school for psychology and I combined these two degrees because when I was in psychology school, I thought, man, so many of these skills and tools I'm learning now would have been so helpful in acting school and so helpful navigating the entertainment business. So I combined my two degrees and created this work called Sustaining Creativity that I had the privilege of sharing at universities around the country with undergrad and graduate acting and dance students. And I come from a belief that it's really important to know who you are. Not everyone agrees with me, and that's totally fine. This is my value and belief. The more you know about yourself, the more you can do, the more you can change. You know, the more I know about myself, the more opportunities I have to create something different on stage as an actor. So by also having a foundation of safety and trust within myself to take creative risk from, to have something to come back to that I can work with when I'm, you know, done performing. And for a lot of performers, it takes a really long time to kind of get out of character, come back to, okay, I got to do laundry. I got to drive the kids to soccer practice. I got to do this. Oh, I have a relationship to attend to as well. You know? right. <laughs> so <laughs> I designed these programs to help specifically originally performers around navigating creativity, having a creative career, and also balancing creativity in their everyday life. Because when we have creative careers, we tend to forget about the everyday life creativity, which helps fuel our creative careers in such a huge capacity. So I was doing that and I love listening to podcasts. I love listening to interview podcasts and learning new things about people. And so during the pandemic, I thought, you know, I'm going to take all of this stuff around sustaining creativity. And I'm going to talk to people about creativity because we don't talk about it hundreds, millions of people think they're not creative. And that to me is just a travesty because I believe we are all creative and we have the capacity to live our lives creatively with huge amounts of joy and happiness. So that's where the podcast started. And I have recorded over 50 episodes and just talking to people from all backgrounds, different creativity experiences about their what it means to them to be creative, how they use creativity, overcome challenges with creativity, how they use creativity to get through everyday life and their secrets to creativity. So it's been super, super fun. And I look forward to continuing to share it. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts, Sustaining Creativity Podcast. And yeah, let me know what you think. It's I love doing it and I will continue to do it. And I'm also working on so many other fun creativity offerings for people out there. And I'm a creativity cultivator. So I do creativity coaching also. And website is in process. It's not up yet, but it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's how I kind of got into the podcast and my sustaining creativity work. That's beautiful. I, I think uh, it's it's perfect because you're in two of the most kind of overlooked fields, <laughs> therapy and creativity. Let, let's just let's just call it like it is. It's unfortunate, but you know, even as a performer myself, it's not something you think about. 
And mm-hmm. one of the things I learned when I had a conversation, when I did your, your, your podcast, I found myself thinking about it, you know, mm-hmm. what can I do to be creative, more creative? And I think your podcast is, is perfect because with a lot more people stuck at home now reevaluating life, I think a lot of people are realizing those nine to five jobs aren't their life. You yeah. have a life outside of that. How can you get creative to, to make your life more fulfilling? You know, because I never like just go on to a job to come home, go to sleep and do the same thing. Right. I have I have goals and things I like to do. I have a yeah. life outside of that job. So I always found pleasure in learning new things, doing different things, moving, you know, getting myself active because there's much more in life than just slaving over a desk all day. And I Ain't think that the truth. And I think honestly speaking, I think the pandemic has been has done you know, aside from, you know, the unfortunate people that lost their lives, I think there's a lot of positives that we're mm-hmm. learning. We're learning to finally appreciate life, have a work-life balance, yeah. appreciate the moments we spend at home, you know, learning new skills, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just taking life, having more fun with life. I right. think people got so stuck up in the whole, you know, like I said, nine to five, you know, you <laughs> got to get up at 630, get the kids dressed, go to work come home, do the same thing, feed the kids, put them to sleep, go to sleep. Do the... You get so used to a routine that you forget to enjoy yourself. Yeah. And uh, I think it's perfect what you do because mm-hmm. it's allowing people to to find something new with themselves, getting to know themselves better. A lot of people don't know themselves. I'm sure a lot of people that work don't know themselves because all they, yeah. they're committed to the job and they forget their life is just as important, if mm-hmm. not more important. So- right. You know, I commend you on that. I think that's very important. Thank you. I think it's important too. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, since it's important, I also think, uh, you know, $5,000 should be awarded to me. But, you know, we'll talk about (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk about compensation later. Yeah, right. Got got you. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, let's, you know, this has been a, a really good conversation. I've learned a lot, I'm sure. I hope you learned a lot. You know, I think yeah. uh, it, it is one of those conversations where you don't know where it's going to go until you have them. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm learning more about therapy. I'm learning more what it's like to be, you know, growing up to be a man, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Understanding life more. I'm always learning. And I think uh, this conversation, if it didn't help me, at least it helps somebody who's listening. And it, yeah. it definitely helped me because, you know, it's it's a great way to finally you know break through that 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 mm-hmm. stereotype and that barrier and have those conversations. So sustaining creativity, you say you can find it anywhere. Um, where where can people find it? And do you have anything new coming up in your life outside of that or with it yeah. and stuff like that? Yeah. So you can find the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Pandora, iHeartRadio. Amazon and more. To be continued. Um, and as I mentioned, I'm putting together a website, but you can find me on social media. I'm at sustaining creativity on both Facebook and Instagram. Follow me there. I do super fun, creative spark, exciting posts, follow me. And, um, and enjoy all the creativity. And then upcoming, hopefully 
March. I don't know when this episode is airing, but hopefully in March, I will have a cultivating creativity guided mindfulness course coming out because it's all, and it's all about like finding a creative spark and growing that creative spark and expanding it and then working on clearing our creativity channels as well. And so I am, you know, I'm here to help people reclaim their creativity power. Awesome. I, uh, there's nothing like, there's nothing like that. You know, I, you know, I thank you for coming on. Uh, you brought such professional and, and, and personal energy to this that I think is very important. And I'm glad to have you because like I said, therapy and creativity is something we don't think about. We don't even talk about. And I yeah. find myself when, when we're done, I'm probably going to think more about it where, what can I do to achieve better for myself, you know? Mm. And, uh, you know, I wish you success on everything you're doing. I think you're going to do well. You're doing well. You know, you have clients, you have your own business, you have sustaining creativity, you're working, you're, and you're also empowering people, not only just as a woman, but just as a person. I think that's very important. And that's what people are drawn to are people who are about helping others than just themselves. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate you. I appreciate you coming on. I think uh, we, we all getting a little tired here. So let's wrap <laughs> this up. Any final words that you want to leave with? Oh, well, thank you so much for inviting me and having this conversation. It's an important conversation for sure. Therapy, creativity, racial tension, all of it. I love it. And we should have more of it. And I really appreciate you using your voice and your platform to give this information to a bigger group of people because yeah, it's needed. And so thank you for the invitation. It's been a pleasure to be here. It's, it's, it's all mine. And like you said, using my voice, I got to call Chris Hemsworth because he's picking me up sushi. So let's wrap <laughs> this up for the people. I'm just joking, but you know, yeah, thank you. I appreciate you coming on. And and like I always say, a helping hand is a better hand. <laughs>